Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Real people with real stories. I uh, grew up uh, in western Oklahoma, and one of my memories of my childhood is driving down gravel roads, uh, listening to AM radio. Now, some of you have no clue that that even exists, uh, and it would depend on what time of the day it was, whether you could actually listen to anything. But uh, I remember uh, distinctly that one of my favorite things to do was to, uh, when the radio was on, was around noon... Uh, and I believe it was Station 1000, the local news would come on. I didn't care anything about the news, and most of the time still don't. But at the end of the news, there was this segment that came on with a very distinct voice. It was Paul Harvey. And Paul Harvey would come on and tell the rest of the story, right? Uh, the, the premise was is that uh, most of us know the end of the story. We just don't know all the, uh, the process leading up to the highlight moment that we all know. And he would begin to talk about somebody that we were familiar with, but he would begin by telling the backstory, leading it up. And then when he would finally let the cat out of the bag, we'd go, oh, I know who he's talking about. We all like to know the rest of the story, the part that leads up to the highlight until it's about us. We just want everybody to know that we have always been as, we, as good as we are right now. We want everybody to think that our story's been perfect up to this moment. We don't want anybody to know what it took to get to where we are now. Uh, today's real story is one of those stories. You know the end of the story. You may even be familiar with the beginning of the story, but because we focus so uh, much and so intensely on the end of the story, we fail to recognize the steps and the processes that were crucial to get to there, to that spot. So let me see if I can uh, uh, throw out the story in a way maybe you don't recognize it. I'm not Paul Harvey and I don't have his voice, but uh, maybe I can get you there. It starts like this. This was an intelligent, a highly intelligent young man. You would describe him like this. He was passionate. He was dedicated. He was on a mission. In fact, most people that knew him, uh, that he ran with in his circle would have said this. He was on a God mission. He was so committed to that mission that he becomes the poster boy, the face of his cause. He, he's the one that everybody looked to to, to, to kind of be the, the pace setter for his cause, for his m mission. And he arrives on the landscape of our consciousness uh, the very first time inside of a mob. There's a mob that's gathered. They're, they're picking up rocks. They're throwing rocks at a Christ follower to put him to death. And uh, this guy was so... Uh, such the, the pace setter for the movement that, that while they're throwing the rocks, they literally take their coats off. I guess they couldn't throw as hard with their coats on. They take their coats off and they bring it to this young man and they hand him their coat so that they could throw the rocks harder. And if you go on, uh, that's in Acts chapter 8, uh, if you go on and read a little bit further in Acts chapter 8, it tells us that this man um, was in full agreement with what the mob was doing. 
Then you continue to read down chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, it tells us that this same man was so passionate about what he did, it reads like this. It says that he began to wreak havoc on the church. To wreak havoc on the church. Finally, here's the rest of the story. Here's the part we know. This same young man has a face-to-face encounter with this Jesus that he's been persecuting. He's writing to go kill Christians, and the Bible says that a bright light came down from heaven, knocked him off his high horse, blinded him. He has this encounter with Jesus. He's converted. And now, because he's been converted, he wants to tell everybody, because he realizes he's been fighting God, there's only one problem. The problem is now, and rightfully so, the Christians are highly suspicious of this young man because this young man is the one that was killing them. Wouldn't you be suspicious? Yeah. And so Barnabas has to come along and vouch for him. And now Paul starts his ministry. What we would do is this. If we were Saul or, or Paul, uh, who, who became Paul, they changed, his name was changed when he had an encounter with Christ, we would only want to tell the part of the story about meeting Jesus. I don't want anybody to know the rest of my story. What I want to do is I just want you to know about the encounter that I've had with Jesus, and I want you to know that because I had this encounter with Jesus, my whole life has been changed. That's what we would want to do. But Paul wouldn't allow that to happen. Uh, we, we would highlight this, that he became the most prolific writer of, in the New Testament, writing over two-thirds of the New Testament, that he was one of the most influential men of his generation. And even if you really stop and think about it, because he did write so much of the New Testament, he is the most read author on it, that mankind has ever known. His ministry was marked by miracles, uh, some crazy stuff around his ministry. We would highlight all that, but Paul would not allow that to happen. In fact, on more than one occasion, uh, he would tell the beginning part of his story. Uh, uh, Paul constantly reminds us of how his story starts. uh, The the one I want to read to you is probably the most insightful, I think, out of his, uh, his rehearsals of what his life was like before Jesus. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verses 12 through 17, it says this. It says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because He considered me faithful, putting me into service, even, listen to what He says, even though He's reminding Himself and reminding all those that were reading this this letter and the churches around, He says, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I was the foremost. One version says it like this. I was the chiefest. I was the chief among sinners. I was the chief among sinners. I was the worst one there ever was. He says, I am the foremost of all. Yet for this reason, I found mercy so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul seemed to be so willing to tell and to recount and to revisit his less than stellar past. That's not how we operate today. We only want people to know the good stuff. 
But he would go back and again, over and over and over, he, he would tell about what he had done. He says that he was a blasphemer. He says that he was a persecutor. He says that he was a violent man. He describes himself as the chief among sinners. I was a bad dude. But then Jesus turned my life around. His willingness to tell his real story teaches us some things about our story that we need to know because we have to be willing to tell our story. We've talked about that for two weeks now. We must be willing to tell our story. And so he teaches us some things. The first thing that he teaches us is this, is that you will either own your story or your story will own you. You will either own your story or your story will own you. Paul had a choice to make. He could try to do this. He could either mask his story or he could master his story. And he chose the latter to master his story. His willingness to own his story resulted in, the, in all the stuff that led up to what had happened in his life. All the pain suddenly because he owned his story becomes a platform to point people to the answer in life. Simply because... He owned his story. He never he hid who he had been. He owned his story. He could preach to them about forgiveness and redemption and second chances because he was willing to tell all of his story. Uh, the truth is, is that all of us have a bloody past. Come on. Touch your neighbor and say he's talking about you. Because some of y'all don't think I'm talking about you. All right. All of us have parts of our past that we wish we didn't have, that we wish we could do over. There are all, everyone, everybody under the sound of my voice has a part of their past that they're not very proud of. That's just the reality. That's real people with real stories. The difference between us and Paul is this, is that too often, because we are silent with our story, our story is allowed to become lethal rather than allowing our story to become leverage. You need to understand that what Jesus has uh, brought you through, the steps that He's brought you through, that yes, the salvation moment and, and all that you've experienced since you've encountered Him, but also being able to look back and point people to what you've been through, that is leverage that He's brought to your life so that you can impact those around you. See, the truth is this morning is that your story will either imprison you or it will position you. You need to understand that we know this. We can quote this. One of our favorite scriptures to quote is this. God will turn all things, everything the enemy meant for bad, for, for evil, for harm, God can turn it for our good. Right? We know that account. We know that story. We know by his track record that that's true. Here's the dilemma. I, I, I wrote it down like this. Is so often the good that, that, would, that has happened in our life that would turn others to God is overlooked or unknown because we refuse to tell and own our own story so that they have no idea that we had anything in our life that needed to be turned. Did you hear what I just said? Because we refuse to own our story, we refuse to tell our story. And because we refuse to tell our story, most of the people around us don't even know that we've been through anything that God had to turn and redeem. And so they think we've always been like this, so they don't know how to get to where we are. We need to share our story. Too many of us are owned 
by our story. We are constantly, and because, because we're owned by our story, this is what happens. We're constantly looking over our shoulder, afraid. We're afraid that somebody will find out. I almost started to ask you for a show of hands. I decided better, better, against it. It would be better if I didn't do this. How many of because don't, don't raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass somebody. But how many of us struggle with this idea that if somebody ever finds out who I really am, they're going to think I'm a fake, I'm a fraud. I'm not really who I say I am. That is an attempt of the enemy to keep us, that is, that is an attempt of the enemy to keep us from telling our story. It's this, this concept of we're, we're owned by our story rather than owning our story. And so we're afraid and we're, we're, we're fearful that somebody might know and it causes us to, to worry that our past will become our present and it forces us into hiding. But Paul refused to do that. Paul refused to hide from who he was so that he could show off who he had become. You need to understand that Paul teaches us that if you don't tell your story, somebody else will. And when they tell it, it won't be the way you would have told it, and they will make stuff up. Have you noticed? They'll make it worse than it was, and they'll leave some details out. and they'll, Yeah, if you don't tell your story, somebody will. You need to own your story. The other thing by owning our story that it does is this. It, it disarms... The enemy. I'm afraid that too many of us give our, the enemy of our soul ammo because we won't tell anybody our story. So then what happens is, is we give him the ammo to use against us because about the time we want to testify, about the time that we want to tell somebody about what God has done in our life, he will remind us of our story and it becomes ammunition and he silences us. Paul wouldn't allow that to happen. Paul disarmed the enemy by telling his story. The enemy could never use Paul's past against Paul because Paul would tell it before the devil could. In every setting, in every city, he would walk in and say, hey, I was the guy. I, that's right, I was him. I'm the one that was killing everybody. I'm the one that was on the crusade. I'm the one that was a blasphemer. I'm the one that was a mean guy. And he would tell everybody. And so he instantly disarmed the enemy. And a lot of you are unable to tell your story because of fear, but, but by not telling your story, you actually arm the enemy and, and then he simply tells our story for us and it produces shame rather than salvation. When we own our story, God can redeem our story. Did you hear what I just said? When we own our story, we, the, at that moment, God can redeem our story. So we've got to learn. We've got to, we've got to learn to tell our story truthfully. How do, how do you know if you've owned your story? Can I tell you? You'll tell it truthfully. And you'll tell it with no finger pointing. Okay, I want you to go back and notice that Paul never said that his past was somebody else's fault. He never blamed the other religious leaders of his day and said they influenced me this way and I'd have never been this angry and I would have never killed anybody and I wouldn't have been turned like this if, if it hadn't have been for so and so. He never did that. He owned his story. He never pointed any fingers. He, he never said, you know what, the temple that I attended for my education taught me wrong. He, he never blamed his family. 
He simply refused to play the blame game. And what I want to say to you this morning is that too many of us never own our story because we want to point fingers at everybody else. So we never own our story. My life wouldn't have turned out the way it's turned out and I wouldn't have gone through what I've gone through if my dad had just loved me more, if he'd just been kind to me and just expressed his emotions to me. I wouldn't be as messed up as I've been. If, 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 my, if my, 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 my school teachers had believed in me and thought I was smarter than I, I was, I would have risen up to their expectations and I would have been more successful if I had a boss that was really nice to me treated me fairly and didn't overlook me, then life would be better. We point fingers. Paul was able to freely share his story because he took ownership of his story. He never ran away from any part of his story. He found freedom because he wasn't trying to assign fault. I think you missed that statement right there. He found freedom because he wasn't trying to assign fault. Some of us are so busy laying blame that we can't leave bondage. We want to blame everybody else. We want to make it everybody else's fault except ours. We don't want to take ownership or responsibility for our actions, for our decisions, for our choices, for our part in the story. And we remain in change because because we are consumed with assigning fault. But freedom comes when we quit pointing fingers and we own our part in the story freedom comes I'm not saying that everything that happened to you was not somebody else's fault some of you have had some bad stuff happen to you that people have done to you and they should be blamed but you can't spend the rest of your life blaming them to the point that you don't say you know what that's what happened to me that's not who I am we walk into freedom the third thing that we've got to do is we've got to understand is that uh, this is how we know we're, we're uh, owning our story is that what we say and what they see lines up. What we say and what they see lines up. Let me see if I can explain. Paul's story was powerful because the people could see that what he said was true. Paul demonstrated that Jesus had in fact changed his story. I wonder how many of us turn our real stories into fiction for people simply because we don't live what we say. Okay, it's going to get quiet. We tell our stories of before and then we make claims that Jesus has changed us. But when they watch us, they don't see any change. And so they, so they go, they discount what Jesus has done, and we can talk about what Jesus has done all we want to, but they revert back to what we were because they see no change. You cannot just say your story has been changed. You must show that your story has been changed. The reason that Paul's real story is real powerful is because he lives down his own story. He lived it down. He proved to them that from the moment I met Jesus, I'm not the same guy I used to be. He backed up his claims of change by demonstrating change. 
I, I encourage you to own your story but, but, uh, and, and to tell your story and disarm the enemy. But this morning I want to challenge you that when you testify to change, you better live it. Uh, it doesn't work to claim that God has turned your story of pain to healing if you snap at the slightest provocation because you're still hurt. Okay, I knew I wasn't going to get no help. It doesn't work to claim freedom from brokenness if your outlook is dark and downcast. Well, Jesus has saved me from all the brokenness of my past. And then you talk to somebody and, and, and it's doom and de despair and agony and this ain't going to work and life, life will send you lemonade or lemons and you don't have the ability to make lemonade and, and, and it's a bad day and woe is you and the world is ending and my life is over and I, and I hate everybody. And, and then you claim that God has healed you of your brokenness but what you say and what they see doesn't line up. And so they discount what Jesus has done. Okay. Um, your claims of redemption can quickly be discounted based upon the merits of our actions. We have to live what we say. So if we're going to get together and claim that Jesus has changed our story and there was this, this moment of, of revolution in our life where I was this way before Jesus and now I met Jesus and so everything is going to be different now. If you're going to claim that, then when you go to Starbucks, you got to be nice. And when somebody does you wrong, you got to ask, you got to act differently than you would have before you met Jesus. Because some of y'all, before you met Jesus, if somebody did you wrong, <clears throat> you, you, could, you could unleash the fury. Uh, uh, do you still have those arguments in your own mind sometimes? When somebody does you wrong, do you ever, I talk to God like this, come on, let me just tell him off one time. I, I, I know what to say. I'm like, quick, I can tell him. I, I've got it all worked up. Just give me one chance I can do it. I'll, 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 I'll. Right? But if we're going to claim that change has taken place, then there must be change in what they see. So when they do us wrong, the Bible says this, we turn the other cheek. And we take it. And we allow the defender of our soul to defend us. Some of us, because we don't live what we say, we discount the real part of our story so that when we say that we've met Jesus, it becomes fiction. You just made that up. One man said this. I think it's a powerful statement. He said, he said this. He said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Because a lot of us talk a good game, but we don't live a good game. And I am challenging you this morning that we have to come to this place where we own our story, that we're not afraid of our past, that we're not so ashamed of our past that we can't tell the entire story because it is that past that propels us and positions us to teach people that our story can be owned and we step up and we own our part in it. We don't blame anybody else. We take, we take responsibility for our part of the story and I could have done this different and I made this choice here and it was my responsibility 
responsibility alone and it wasn't my, my parents' fault and it wasn't my siblings' fault and it wasn't my co-workers' fault. It wasn't the dog's fault. It wasn't the neighbor's fault. It was my fault. I made this choice. And as you own it, and you begin to illustrate with the life that you're living, they recognize that your story is real. And when they recognize that your story is real, this is the other part that's important, they recognize that what your story is about is relevant to them. Because when your story becomes real, they can relate to you and they go, if their story is their story and what they've been through and what they've endured and what they've experienced, if they can make it and Jesus has intervened and redeemed that part of their life, then surely in my situation with my story and my pain and my hurt, Jesus has something to do and say about me as well. Real stories lived out by real people. Paul says that you cannot just listen to me. You can watch me. I want you to, over the course of this week, here is your assignment. I want you to live in such a way that your life lines up with what comes out of your mouth. Now that can go one of two ways. Right, I'm challenging you to make sure that you do. You choose the right one. I, as you talk to people with with words this week, and because we do it, we don't we slip it in there. How you? I mean, I, I do. You're around people. You don't know whether they know Jesus or not, and they ask you questions. Don't you try to slip stuff in? Like, hey man, how's your, how's your week going? Blessed. That's an attempt, right? Isn't that an attempt to get them to say blessed? What does that mean? What do you mean blessed? Well, let me tell you what blessed me. All right, we're looking for opportunities. Some folks are going to stumble into work tomorrow morning because of what they did last night and tonight, and they're going to be all bleary-eyed, and they're going to be hungover, and they've been worshiping at the porcelain throne, and all that kind of stuff, and you're going to have an opportunity to say something to them. But if you say something to them, you've got to make sure that the rest of the week, when the boss gets on your ever-loving last nerve, that you live the change. I want to encourage you this morning. Most of the people in this room have real stories that need to be told. You need to own your story so that it disarms the enemy. This is a safe place where you can tell the entirety of your story and we won't look at, down, at you down our nose and go, well, I, I loved you until I knew about you. Y'all remember last year, he's coming back this year, the last Sunday in June, but I brought my roommate on my trip to Israel to speak. Anybody remember LaVon Davis? Listen, if I can room with a guy that murdered two people for two weeks in Israel and not look down my nose at him and, 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 and consider him my brother, then I can handle your story too. We, we have this chance to handle and hold each other's stories in a safe way so that we can tell the entire story and it will produce health for us. Amen? So this is your challenge. This week, this week, I need you to own your story. Don't leave anything out. In the privacy of your own home, and nobody around, I just, 
I started to do this now, but I knew you'd get uncomfortable. I was going to give you a piece of paper and a pen and allow you to write your story out, but I knew some of you would draw pictures instead and play tic-tac-toe. <laughs> so I'm going to give you this assignment for home. I'm asking you, take a, about five to ten minutes this week and sit down and write your story out. Don't leave anything out. Nobody's going to see it but you. Write it out. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Write it all out. And then I want you to take a few moments in the privacy of your home or wherever you choose to do this, and I want you to spend some time with Jesus and talk to him about what all took place up to the point that you met him, and I want you to own it. I want you to take responsibility for it. I had a part to play in this. And then I want you to allow, I want you to go back and read through your story, and I want you to allow him to show you how that story can be used as a platform to reach others. And then there's the part, hard part for the rest of the week because I'm hoping you'll do that today or tomorrow. For the rest of the week, I'm asking you to live up to what you say Jesus has done. He's changed me. He set me free. He delivered me. I'm a different person. I'm not the man I used to be. I'm a better husband than I used to be. I'm a better dad. I'm a better mom. I'm a better friend. I'm a better employee then live up to that. So that without even saying a word, people will go, there's something different about them. And they'll inquire. Father, this morning I pray that together you would challenge us to own our story. Father, there are some people under the sound of my voice, I know this is true, they still can't seem to tell their story. Shame overtakes them. Fear overtakes them what they've experienced, what they've encountered throughout their life was so painful to them that they continue to stay silent. So Father, I pray that over the course of this week as we take time to write our story out, leaving nothing out, leaving nothing out, we can be brave in this moment because nobody else will see this. We, as brave as we can, we write the entire story out. I pray that in that moment we would have a a revelation that this is our story. And we would own our part of that story. And out of that, I pray that you would produce freedom and victory. And that all shame and fear and embarrassment would be lost. God, I pray that out of that exercise, what would take place is we would have individuals that would disarm the enemy. Because there are some of us that have been looking over our shoulders and we're scared. We're afraid that people will really find out who we really are. And I pray that this week we would find that we're disarming the enemy by being able to tell our story. We would no longer be ashamed. Most of all, Father, I pray that you would allow us to live what we say. God, I know a lot of the stories in this room and there are many of us that claim that you have changed our life and we're different and we're better and we're not the same. We're not the same. But some of us struggle to live that out. And so at the drop of a hat, we get angry. At the drop of a hat, we have a bleak outlook. On the, uh, at the drop of a hat, we lose all of our hope. So Father, I pray this morning what you would do is you would help us to live up to what we say. If you've really changed us, if you've really set us free, if, you're, if we're really different, if old things are gone and all things are new and we're a brand new creation, 
then I pray that you would allow us to live up to that. And when things happen, I pray that we would respond in a different way. We would love in a different way. We would be better spouses. We would be better parents. We would be better children. We would be better friends. We would be better neighbors. We would be better classmates. We would be better uh, uh, employees. We would be better. And people would look at us and go, there's something different about them. And I want what they have. I pray that you would use our stories, our very real stories to touch people, to change people. And we'll give you glory for it and honor for it. In Jesus' name, this is what I want you to do. I want you to touch your neighbor real quick. Before we pray over our graduates this morning, I want you to touch your neighbor and say, I'm watching you. Come on, tell them. I, I, I'm, I'm watching you. I'm watching you. I'm watching you. I want to see you live up to your story. I, I want to live. I want to see you. Li- Come on, give them this one right here. Give them, give them that one. I, I'm, come on, tell them, tell them I'm watching you. When you don't even know it, uh, I'm watching you. Uh, when you don't even know it, I, I, I'm watching you. Today's a special day. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.